welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Barber shop uh, that is somewhat popular. It's uh, there on 4th Street near uh, 21st Avenue. It's where a lot of people go to get their hair cut, uh, and it's because it is a barber shop like out of the movies, and it's run by two guys. One's name is Billy. The other's name is Billy Jr. And they are as Boston as you can imagine. Right? I mean, their accents, despite the fact that they've lived here in St. Petersburg for 25 years, are just as thick as if they had just come off the boat from Ireland into Boston. I mean, these are Boston guys. And I was in there getting my hair cut the other day, and they were reminiscing about the fact that a year ago, Billy Jr. decided that he was going to move to Colorado for whatever reasons a 25-year-old single guy would have to move to Colorado for six months. And the day before he left, he walked over to the rally gas station next door to Billy's and decided to buy a scratch-off ticket. He scratched that ticket off and won $7,500 on a scratch-off ticket, paid for his entire winter where he just decided he was going to go to Colorado and do Colorado things instead of cutting hair. We hear that story and we're reminded of sort of the, the craziness that is sort of the lottery, right? I mean, I heard that like Powerball, I don't keep up with this very well, but I heard like Powerball like a couple weeks ago was up like over half a billion dollars. And whenever that happens, it's funny because all kinds of people that you would never expect to buy a lottery ticket all of a sudden say, oh, yeah, yeah, I bought a lottery ticket. Yeah, I threw a dollar at it because who knows, right? Half a billion dollars. I'm sure I could figure out something to do with half a billion dollars or at least least a chunk. We've all had that daydream, right? If I had all of the money I could ever imagine, what would I do? And we've all sort of filled that box. We've all sort of said, oh, I would. I'd make sure I, I would, would," whatever it is. And so we think about that, and we go to the store, and we buy our energy drink, and the guy says, you want to buy a Powerball ticket with that? We sort of shrug and go, yeah, sure. In so many ways, we sometimes think about prayer in the way that we think about the lottery. This morning we're going to talk about two parables that Jesus taught. Both of them have to do with prayer. But as we start to think about prayer in your life and mine, we're oftentimes confused. And when we talk to somebody else about prayer, their idea of prayer is, might not even be anything like our idea. Some of us think of prayer as a divine lot. You know, I'm just going to, to pray and hope that something really big and really good happens. Right? So I'm going to pay my dollar at the gas station and hope something big happens. Some of us think of prayer as sort of divine lottery. Uh, Others of us, when we start to think about prayer, when we hear prayer brought up, maybe we've been a Christian for a long time, and we think of prayer as being somewhat pointless. We've known we should pray for a long time, and when we do pray, we feel like, nothing ever happens, that no one is listening, that we're just sort of talking to the ceiling, and everything's bouncing off of the drop ceiling tiles. And so we think that prayer is pointless. Or maybe we're not a Christian. 
And we think that prayer really doesn't have anything to do with our lives. For others of us, when we think of prayer, we think of it as maybe just a, a, an exercise in meditation. Uh, an inward journey where I just begin to think about my life and that sort of is what prayer is. It's confusing. Which of these is right? Is it, is it a shade in between some of these things? Is it all of the above? Is it none of the above? What is prayer? And to add sort of fuel to the fire of our confusion about prayer, we have the fact that, that every religion has some sort of concept of prayer, whether that's prayer or meditation. Something in every religion calls for us to quiet ourselves before something that's greater than us. So how do we pray? Maybe you just sort of stream of consciousness, just sort of start saying words upward in your mind. Maybe out loud, maybe in your mind. You just sort of start talking and working through things. Or maybe you're somebody who prefers form prayers, right? We sort of get into this and it's just, it's a confusing maze, isn't it? Should I pray the Lord's Prayer every time I pray? Or is that rote? Should I not do it? Should I never pray the Lord's Prayer because God wants to hear me in my voice? And prayer gets even more complicated because none of us probably would say we pray like we should, right? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I don't want to embarrass everyone, but how many of you would say, I pray enough? I, I, I pray enough. I pray enough. None of us would probably raise our hands. Or how about, I pray hard enough. I pray with a fervency and urgency. I pray the way Jesus taught me to pray, and I'm sure about that. See, when it comes to the topic of prayer, when we get really honest, we get really confused, we get really out of our depth, really quick. So what I want to do this morning is show you what Jesus taught about prayer in Luke chapter 11. He gives these two stories, these two parables. And when he gives us these two parables, he's going after one big idea, something that is lodged in your heart and mine, and it's this, that we think prayer is a religious, religious tactic to get what we want. The default setting of most of our hearts is that prayer is a religious tactic to get the things that I want. And what Jesus is going to show us is that that is not at all the case. So if you would please, would you stand with me? I'm going to read Luke 11, 5 through 13. You can follow along in your Bibles if you have them. If not, there's a Bible on our church app. Or if you'd like, you know, the words of the scripture will be there on the screen. This is Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give, get up and give you anything. I tell you, 
though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? City Church, this is the Word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago, and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So Jesus tells us these two stories about prayer. These two stories about what it means to pray as a Christian. And the first one is, is kind of a humorous story. It's, it's lost on us a little bit because we don't live in the same sort of houses and we don't have the same sort of culture as the people who listen to this for the first time. But Jesus asks a question. He says, can you imagine? Can you imagine if somebody showed up at your house at midnight and started to yell into your door, Hey! Hey, Justin! A friend just showed up at my house, and I don't have any food. I don't have anything to serve him. Can you... Can, can I borrow some food? Do you got a bag of chips? Do you got some chicken? What, what do you have that I can have that I can take back and give to my friend? Can you... Can you help me out? And the friend answers from inside the door, What? It is late. I have locked the door. My kids are in bed. No. Go away. I'm not giving you anything. Quit hassling me. It's midnight. We read this story and we see that there's some humor in it. But it's, it's extra funny when you think that most houses in the Mediterranean where Jesus was teaching this were one-room houses. They were all studios. Right? Where the bedroom and the kitchen and the li- it all sort of ran together, right? And so when he says, right, that no, go to bed, the kids are asleep, how does he have to tell the guy outside the door that? He has to yell at him. Can you imagine yelling right next to your kids, no, go away, my kids are asleep? What's that going to do? It's going to wake up your kids. So Jesus tells this story. And he says, no, this is, this is funny and this would never happen. The other reason this would never happen is because you would never bring the shame on your house by not giving your friend food for someone who would come on a journey. And so Jesus says, can you imagine this? Can you imagine somebody bothering you in the middle of the night asking for food, and then you have to get up and give it to them. What's going on in this story? So we know that it's humorous, so we know that Jesus is sort of telling some jokes in here, but on the other hand, how does this story teach us about prayer? Well, it's interesting, because what's true about the guy that starts knocking at midnight? Does he have what he needs? 
No. He is out of bread, and somebody has just shown up at his house who's hungry. Does he deserve anything from his neighbor? No. Not only does he not deserve anything from his neighbor, but he's kind of being a pain to his neighbor. Right? By, by walking up to his door and banging on his door. Right? There's, there's a generational thing. There's a funny thing here where if you're a friend, you would, you would call out to your friend who's inside. If you're not that good of a friend, you would, you would knock. Right? Good friends don't knock. You know this about your house, right? How many of you have the kind of good friends that just walk into your house? Right? This is the, the Jerry Seinfeld and Kramer situation for some of you who, who remember Seinfeld, where Kramer would just burst into the door, right? Let me put this another way for some of you. Good friends text. People who aren't friends call. Right? If I'm really good friends with you, I'm not going to call you if I need something. What am I going to do? I'm going to text. Right? Very rarely do I want to bring voice conversations into this situation. This is a generational thing, right? People don't, right, there's, there's a generational gap there. This is going on. So, so the guy is standing at the door. He has nothing. He deserves nothing. In fact, he has the deck stacked against him. He's got no food, and he's being a pest. And then what happens? His friend comes out. And did the Bible say that his friend gave him the bread? No. It says that when his friend came out, he gave him everything that he needed. He gave him the bread. He gave him the oil. He gave him everything, all the utensils and cups and plates that he needed was given to him. So the deck was stacked against this guy. He was a debtor to his neighbor. And instead of just getting what he asked for, he received more than he could possibly dream. Are you starting to see the echoes of the gospel in this passage? Who are we to God if not debtors? When we just prayed the Lord's Prayer, we said, what? Forgive us of our debts. And Jesus has just taught them the Lord's Prayer. And we come to God as debtors, as not deserving anything, as not having any merit. And we come knocking in the middle of the night. And when we ask for three loaves, we get everything. You see, the first thing that Jesus wants us to see about prayer is that prayer is about grace. You and I do not deserve anything from God. And yet God freely and abundantly gives us more than we need. And certainly more than we deserve. You see, the problem with you and I is we oftentimes think of prayer as God's little reward program. Right? It's like, it's like cartwheel at Target. It's, it's like some sort of savings coupon card that you buy from some kid who's running around church trying to sell them to you. That's my kid, and I'm sorry about that. 
But that's the way we think of prayer, right? Well, I have done X number of good deeds. Surely now, when I pray to God, He will give me what I want. I have been very, I have avoided all sorts of sin. Certainly that means that God is going to give me anything that I want. And we treat prayer as if it's God's reward program. God, I'd like to redeem my ten good deeds, please. I want to trade this for a large sum of cash. Give it to me. When we do that, whenever we think of prayer as a tactic or a mechanism to get the things that we want, whenever we think of it as something that we can use to manipulate God, we are not seeing prayer as a grace. We're seeing it as just a means to an end of getting what we want. Anytime that we try to use prayer and try to use our good actions to pry God's blessing out of His hands, we're saying that prayer is not by grace. And this passage is very clear in saying that. In fact, as he goes on to his next parable, he begins to say, anyone who asks, receives. Anyone who seeks, finds. Anyone who knocks, the door will be opened to him. As Jesus begins to teach this, he starts the second part by reminding us that it is anyone. It's not the deserving who have the door open. It's not those of us who have kept ourselves pure who will receive. Anyone who asks, anyone who seeks, anyone who knocks. And this whole passage, what Jesus is doing, is he's saying, if this is true of your relationships with one another, if this is true of you as neighbors, how much more true is this of God? And he says exactly that when he starts to talk about, if you have a son and he asks you for fish, are you going to give him a snake? And, and people would say, no. No, of course not. And if he asks you for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? No. No, Why? Because we love, we have this natural thing inside of us that loves to give gifts. And loves to give gifts to our children because there's something about when a child receives a gift, the sort of wonder of it, right? When, when, a, when a teacher gives a child a top, and that child says, this is, this is a limited edition Spider-Man top. It's the best top ever. I've heard that it will spin for five hours if you spin it just right. There is a joy that is unbridled there, and we participate in that joy when we give that to the kid, right? We love that if we love to give good gifts to our children. How much more does God want to give good gifts to us who are His children? And so he goes through this passage and says, anyone who seeks will find. Anyone who asks will receive. But at the very end of the passage, 
Jesus does something really, really interesting. Did you catch it? Because, because he says, we're expecting him to say that whatever you ask your father of, what? He will give you. That's the way we expect. If, if your kid asks for an egg, you don't give him a scorpion, you give him the good gift. If your kid asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake, you give him the fish. And if you ask anything of your heavenly Father, what does Jesus say you'll receive? Holy Spirit. He doesn't say you're going to get whatever you want. He doesn't say that if you just pray the right prayer, if you just do the right actions, then whatever you ask of God, He will do. He says, no, whatever you ask of God, He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And this is an important distinction about prayer for you and for me. Because our, our ideas about prayer have been muddled by the television. If you were to turn on your TV and look at the people that are preaching on TV most of the time, what are they telling you? That if you just trust in God, you can live your best life now. If you just do enough good deeds, or if you just give enough money to my ministry, God will bless you with whatever you want. Now, most of us would look at that and go, well, I don't believe that, so I'm good to go. And yet, how many times does that idea creep into our heart? That God will give me whatever I want. If I just pray hard enough, if I just do the right thing, God will give me whatever I want. But God says, no, I'm not. As a good father, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. See, Jesus in this parable did not say, which of you, if your children ask for cookies, will give him broccoli? Because sometimes, as a parent, when they ask for cookies, you have to give them broccoli. Why? Even though it's not what they want, it's what they need. And Jesus says, anyone who asks will receive the Holy Spirit. You see, what's so interesting about prayer is that if you go through and think the times that you have prayed recently, what are those things that you have prayed for? Have you prayed for a relationship because you feel alone? Have you prayed for control because things in your life seem out of control? Have you prayed for God to fix a situation that's hard in your life? Have you prayed that God would make your life secure? The life of your children and your family secure? You see, what's interesting, as we begin to look at those things that we pray for, oftentimes they tell us a lot about what our heart actually worships. There is some deep level irony in the fact that most of our prayers are absolutely laced with idolatry of the things that we really love and not the thing Jesus calls us to. 
And we see that when God doesn't respond the way we expect Him to. Because if you pray for a relationship, Jesus, I am lonely. Jesus, this hurts. I don't want to be like this. And instead of getting the relationship that you want, God says, instead, I'm going to give you contentment. What about instead of control, instead of God, may I be able to accomplish my goals and do the things I want to do. What if instead of that, God starts giving you patience in the face of your situation? What if instead of fixing a difficult situation in your life, God starts to teach you gratefulness and thankfulness for the things that you do have? You see, what Jesus is working in us is not us getting the things that we want. Not a better house, or in St. Pete, a better address. It's not about our kids doing better than we did. It's not about our advancing in society. It's not about us getting the things that we want, the relationship that we want, the grades that we want. It's not about us getting the things that we want. It's about the Holy Spirit breaking out and bearing out the fruits of the Spirit in our life. So instead of God fixing the situation... He begins to give you the fruit of the Spirit of thankfulness. Instead of God making you secure from everything, He starts to work in your heart trust. See, what God really wants to do for us is not give us everything we want. What God says is, I'm going to give you something better than what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. What you need is not more. What you need is my Holy Spirit to work the fruit of the Spirit in you. So as we come to this and we begin to look at our hearts, as we begin to get honest about the way that we pray, we can see pretty clearly that our prayer is often laced with worshiping something besides Jesus. But the good news of this passage is, back to that first parable, that we are the neighbor who doesn't deserve anything. The neighbor who is begging in the middle of the night for some bread. And Jesus, much more, not just because of our, our impudence, not because we just are bothering him, but because he loves us, comes and dies for us. He sheds His blood on the cross so that we might receive far more than we deserve. You see, the cross of Jesus is Him loving us. Is Him being the better neighbor than the neighbor in this passage because we don't deserve anything. And yet through Him, we get everything we need. So then how do we pray? What is prayer? as we think about prayer, what prayer becomes for us, when we begin to see prayer in light of the Holy Spirit, in light of the good news that we are more broken and messed up than we think we are, that even our prayer is laced with idolatry, but because of the cross of Jesus, we are more loved, forgiven, accepted, and generously given access that we don't deserve. Prayer becomes this. It becomes us entering into the loving presence of God being accepted and being able to come before Him as a good, good Father who knows our every need 
And so we get to tell Him our needs and even tell Him our wants. And as we do that, as we are thoughtful, we begin to see our heart. We begin to see the things that we really love. Prayer begins to teach us what our loves are. And then because of who Jesus is, we begin to have our desires shaped into His image. Because at the core, prayer is about changing your desires and mine into His desires. About molding them into His image. And as we do that, as we have our desires reshaped, as our desire for relationship becomes a desire for contentment, as our desire for control becomes a desire to be patient, as our desire to fix things becomes a desire for gratefulness in all things, we're molded into His image. And He gives us the privilege then of going out into the world and bearing that changed image. You see, ultimately, prayer is a beautiful reminder that God isn't done with us and He continues to work on us, even to our Christians.